Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the bulls are getting even more bullish. Oppenheimer just releasing its target for 2018, and it's the highest on the street. The man behind that call, John Soltis, will be here to tell us just how high he thinks stocks are going. Plus, Bitcoin mania rages on as Wall Street braces for the launch of futures trading over the weekend. We'll tell you everything you need to know to get ready for the big debut. And later, biotech surging back from correction territory, having its best day since August. And there's a major event this weekend that could send the group even higher, we will explain. But first, we start off with a record day for the markets. The Dow soaring triple digits, closing at a record high, and the S&P 500 joining in on the party as well. NASDAQ a bit behind, but making a comeback today after what has been a tough month for the composite. And looks like the perfect recipe for a rally. We've got big jobs number this morning. President Trump signed the bill to avert a government shutdown, and it is still full speed ahead on tax cuts. So do you just keep buying into the end of the year and maybe even beyond? Guy? I think we've been saying that all along. And one of the things we said earlier this week was, despite the fact that the market seemed volatile and the market closed down a couple days, the, the VIX, the volatility index, continued to go lower. It's down 5% one day, 5% the next day. Today it closed at basically 9.5, the lowest level we've seen in quite some time. So despite all the ramblings and despite all the warning signs that at least I see, the VIX doesn't care. So to answer your questions, yeah, I'm not certain, you know, some exogenous event is out there. I don't see it. And as we get closer and closer to Christmas, this thing is just going to continue to grind higher, in my a, opinion. You named a couple of things that could have thrown the market off track. We all, we all know them. If the tax policy, if for whatever reason there's another hurdle, that could send the market lower. Uh, debt ceiling, that was an issue that we've dealt with so many years before. And I think everyone's learned a lesson not to sell the market on that. But if you're large cap tech, AMT was the major, major thing. It was the 800-pound gorilla in the room. That's not in the tax policy. Those stocks roar back. We've seen them. Baba was down 14%. It ran up from there. It ran up from there. So you start to see all these different plays. <laughs> we had a little camera thing yeah, that was going on. Too much reality there. Anyway, it felt like we were in the funhouse. Which is kind of what this market feels like. I think like. large cap tech was the biggest right. worry. So you really had your stomach turned inside out because although it felt like a blip. For most other things, large cap tech took a beating but rallied back, half the way at least. Yeah. Well, I, I think people are actually feeling some, some sense of uh, jubilation over the fact that three or four days ago when things were pulling back, people said, oh, is this the big one? Uh, and I think the big one was a function of things going parabolic. And I truly mean look at transports, look at small caps, look at retail, look at financials. And, and, then, and then the NASDAQ on the other side was pulling back. What's happened here is simply you had things to get a chance to kind of cool off. Uh, relative strength indicators on the upside, on the downside have come back to some moderation. I think today brought it right back to global growth. Look at GDP numbers out of Japan, look at growth around the world, and then a payroll number, which is devoid of any inflation pressure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is really the perfect storm. So if you want Goldilocks, you've got Goldilocks in the U.S. right now. Manufacturing uh, employment is at 2.7 percent. By the way, why we're crying so hard about getting manufacturing jobs in this country, if you think about it, what's happening right now is people are running into uh, skilled labor shortages and manufacturing jobs, and yet that seems to be the mantra. I don't agree with that, but I do agree that the jobs market is, is in a very good place without inflation, and that's what the market's focused on today. Global markets outperformed. 
Yeah, global markets outperformed. China data, like you said, was, was strong. I mean, look, in general, I think you don't just blindly buy this tape and think that it's going to rally until the end of the year. You've got to be very selective. Pick your winners. We talked about it in the show all the time. Look at the names that you look in your portfolio and say, I want to own for the next year and add to them weakness. I look at some names and say they're tradable sectors. I look at the consumer discretionary space and say that's a tradable sector. Energy still a tradable sector. It's not investable. I don't think so. Not yet. Energy. I think you can when you say don't yet. buy blindly. I think yeah. you can almost buy everything with the exception of energy. Retail has bounced back dramatically. Macy's name that I talk about, Tim's been long. It's up 40%. You believe 40%. that bounce, though? Yeah, but it's yeah. up. It's up because, yeah, because the, worst, the worst is out of the way right now. Everyone is betting so against The worst is not retail. out of the way in Macy's. Macy's is still in the secular decline. Only 12, their business everyone model thinks that is Amazon still is going to crush, crush everybody. They're only 12% of sales are online. What's changed, Granted, Amazon, what's changed in second. Macy's business model? Hang on one second. All, it's got demolished. It's all factored Valuation, in. It's all though. factored in. So hang on one second. So now, if, they, if only 12% are online sales, granted, Amazon is 50% online. Look at what UPS said. They can't deal with the swell of orders. Do you think all of those orders were Amazon? Some of these guys are going to hit it out of the park. Some yeah. of these guys' business model is catching up. And some of them have been so beaten uh -huh. up that it's already in the price. It's going to be a long 16 days, that's for sure, till Christmas. That's how many days till Christmas. You were counting? Six. Yeah. And by the way, that's a very Christmas. In fact, I am. Very Christmassy outfit, Mel. That's right. You got Thank your you. Christmas outfit on early. Festive. You know what? That's festive very nice. Here. Very nice. We are. But you, you like we're Macy's? We're nothing if not. I like Macy's. I stay, I stay long Macy's. Um, I, I obviously agree with Steve's point. Dave's point is a fair one. I mean, is, is there business in secular decline? You can make a strong argument that this is not the yeah. Macy's of three years ago. We know that. The point is, it's in the price. Uh, to me, part of the story on Macy's was that the, the balance sheet wasn't anywhere near as bad as people thought. These guys are paying a 6% a, a dividend. It goes ex-div on 12.15. You might want to take a look at that. It's not the reason to buy the stock. Stocks run a big, yeah. a big amount, but Macy's came into this holiday season in a very different place, as did a lot of other retail, retailers. I think that's Steve's point. Ultimately, they've had yeah. a year to adjust to Amazon. They've had multiple years, and only in the last six months have we seen a couple of these guys begin to make some inroads. Look how they this rewarded is a, This is a positioning trade, simply a positioning trade right now, and on tax, and, and the fact that it's been beaten up on valuations, not a stock that I want to invest in. I stay away from it from an investment uh, philosophy. I look at it and say, technology, I still want to play the game. I want to buy stocks on weakness that are good stocks that have a growth trajectory that's going to keep but going. I think, I think we're all I, saying the same we, thing. No, we are, but, but we're talking Macy's about going into move. year end and the first quarter, by the way, you're going to see a lot of positive data coming out of retail and even right. less bad is going to be enough to keep the se sector going. I'm not saying that this is something that I want to own for three and five years, but you can't deny that when you look at these charts, they have been beaten up yeah. so badly yeah, that come to back take a so flyer much. on them and when you see these things, they're not flyers anymore. Yeah, they're not. They've been, they've been the laggards. They've rallied. You know what hasn't, hasn't rallied? Energy. It's been a laggard that can't so get out of its own I, way. I think that captures the, the question that a lot of investors have right now with the S&P and Dow at closing record highs. What do you buy here? Do you buy laggards in the market, thinking that there's going to be some sort of snapback, or do you buy what has been working? Well, the laggards in the market for the last couple of weeks, at least, have been technology. But mm -hmm. you, were, you were gallivanting Monday and Tuesday, so you weren't uh, here. But I believe on Monday. No that's less. a good gallivanting. But, but the implication is that she was just yeah. whimsically. You I, was, know, I was watching what was going on. Yeah. Were you I mean, watching the fast money? The fast money. Then you money. heard us talk about Micron, I think, on Monday, and we said, you know what? It did a whole. It basically recaptured the entire rally back down to the levels that when it reported 38 and a half. We said 
Risk reward in Micron sets up well. Steve was sitting next to me, nodded his head in accord. And look at what it's done since. So there are stocks that have underperformed over the last month or so that are interesting again. And I think this rotation out of tech is probably over in the short term. All right. In case you thought it couldn't get any better than this, let's bring in Wall Street's biggest bull, John Stoltzfus, the chief investment strategist with Oppenheimer Asset Management. He's got a brand new 2018 S&P 500 price target of 3000 It is right now the highest target on the street. Welcome, John. Uh, thanks a lot. Does Good that make you a little Melissa. scared to be the highest on the street? Uh, not really. Uh, we, we have been, uh, over, over the last few years, uh, uh, second highest on the street. Uh, but at 3000 just today we closed above 2650 which was our revised target from last July. And our earlier target that we put in last December was 2450 this year. So this had, we've got 2450 2650 Now, knocking on wood, folks. Let's hope we get the 3,000. But we think the 3,000 is realistic based on just improving fundamentals. Things are getting, more things are getting better than getting worse, whilst there's plenty of challenges. Uh-huh. What needs to go right in order to get 3,000? Does tax need to pass? I mean, what are the, the elements? I, I, I think what really needs to, uh, to keep moving along is we need to uh, keep uh, inflation in check, modest growth of inflation, modest wage growth, uh, a Federal Reserve that remains very sensitive to, uh, to the needs of the economy. Is and sensitive three rate hikes next year? I think three rate hikes okay. is what I'm looking for. I, I don't think it'll be four. I think we got another one of these three, three, three hike years. Right. Uh, what is your biggest concern, though, to your target? What's the biggest risk? Well, I'd say the biggest risk would be if, if, uh, if all of a sudden you got uh, a sense at the Fed that uh, they, they thought inflation was moving ahead of itself, and they had to, to increase the pace of the normalization, whether it was raising rates at, at a quicker, quicker pace uh, in terms of the increments they were making or in the spatial relationship of when they... Just think of it. We've only hiked, what, four times in two years the last Fed cycle, by two years, we'd hiked 17 times mm. and raised uh, the Fed funds rate by 425 basis points from 1% to four uh, to five and a quarter. That very different picture then. You know, this is, uh, things have evolved uh, in, in, in a different direction. John, this isn't a wise guy question. You just said sensitive to the needs of the economy. Yeah. Do you mean sensitive to the needs of the market? I think I, I, I mean sense, it's sensitive to the needs of the economy. The Fed's role and its mandate just happens to work well for the market because the market likes a, an economy that's good enough to generate revenue growth and earnings growth. Fair enough. And I don't mean to, to double up this question. I never do this. But remember last year it was Janet Yellen said she was going to go on this course. The market sold off significantly and they backed off because the market had a significant pullback. So that's why I asked the question. Yeah. No, I, I think in, in this particular case, we've got new leadership coming in at the Fed, although I think Janet Yellen did a terrific job. Uh, what we have here right now is we've got new, new leadership, but thank goodness it's not John Taylor. Uh, and with Jerome Powell, we might continue on in a fairly dovish pattern, but with a realistic approach to the need for normalization, because the Fed has to prepare. At some point down the road, we will have a risk of a recession and probably will have a recession. But I'm not looking for that next year. John, how much of 3000 is is post-tax bill, and, and how much of this is focused on domestic, where effective tax rates were 36 to 39 uh, percent? It, it's actually uh, not really including uh, mm. a, a, a real kick from, uh, from tax reform. We were even thinking, we were surprised when tax reform made it through the Senate. We really thought those five senators were going to hold back 
and they didn't, and you only had, only Corker, I think, held back the vote. Mm -hmm. They got that moving forward on it. But I think the market is really, uh, uh, the market is, is feeling good about itself because it has a business-friendly administration in the White House, but it recognizes the difficulties in terms of different constituencies, uh, powerful uh, uh, vested interest groups that can, can, can dislodge a really effective tax reform. It likes, it, it likes two to two and a half percent growth that appears sustainable right now for the foreseeable future. Not right. forever, but looking out 12 to 18 months. John, thank you. Good to see you. Have a great thank weekend. You. John Solzvitz of uh, Oppenheimer. What did you do today? So I stayed long, thank God, all of my tech exposure. I stayed mm -hmm. long my housing exposure, which never took really, uh, really a hit. And I am still 99% allocated in the market. So there's not a whole lot of room. When I make my next move, it's going to be for sale, not to buy anything. Right. You? Uh, biotech. I mean, just getting in front of the ash, getting in front of sort of J.P. Morgan in January, getting in front of the Cowan Conference in March, getting in front of the, the news flow that I think is going to be very positive continue to buy stocks there. Yeah, Tim? Yeah, I like that call. In fact, Gilead has held the 200-day after thrashing around at the big news and it bottomed and it's, you know, somewhere starting, I think, making a move technically, but I think the fundamentals are there. Uh, emerging, I've been adding to the last couple of days and I've been adding to these infrastructure trades, which have been the reflation trades. All right, coming up, it is the moment everyone has been waiting for. Bitcoin's about to make a huge splash as futures trading begins this weekend. We will tell you how to get in on the crypto craze. Plus, Boeing is the best performing Dow stock this year, hitting fresh all-time highs today. But if you miss the run, don't worry. We'll tell you how to buy it for less than five bucks. And later, small caps sinking this week, but the chart master sees something in the charts that might have you pushing the buy button. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown continues as we are just days away from the CBOE launching Bitcoin Futures Sunday. The first exchange to offer Bitcoin Futures contracts with the CME set to follow on December 17th. And along with the exchanges, a number of online brokers are also set to trade Bitcoin Futures on their platforms. Bob Pisani has got more from the NYSC. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. We're getting closer to finally trading Bitcoin Futures. Here's what we know now. Trading starts on Sunday night. There will be three initial one-month contracts, January, February, and March. Each contract is just one Bitcoin. The contracts are traded and settled in cash. You'll be required to post a margin of 40%. Now that's up from 30% just a few days ago. If you want to trade Bitcoin futures, check with your broker, but <laughs> be forewarned. A lot of them seem to be sitting out this initial round of trading. So, for example, Interactive Brokerage is one of the few firms that will allow trading on its platform, but with margins of 50%. CEO Thomas Petterfee said right here on Fast Money yesterday there will be no naked shorting. Ameritrade says they will sit this out initially, but they have a substantial futures operation, and my bet is they are ready to go when they feel ready. E-Trade, Schwab, Fidelity, they're taking a wait-and-see attitude. So traders will be looking at several issues when trading begins in earnest on Monday. First, with such limited initial participation, what kind of volume will we be seeing? Second, and more importantly, what's the bid-ask spread? And what is the depth of the book that market makers have created? If you can trade in $10 intervals, for example, which you can, how many bids and offers will there be at different price levels? Will this make Bitcoin more respectable? You know, it's not really clear, but it will certainly help make parts of the Bitcoin market more transparent, and it will go a long way toward extending some regulation to parts of that market. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani with the latest off on the New York Stock Exchange. So what, what do you think will happen? I mean, Bob makes a good point in terms of 
bid-ask spreads and, and how many participants will be on each side of the trade. We don't know that yet. No, and I've talked to Brian Kelly about it, and who, nobody's going to know better than he would, and he thinks it's going to be a big, uh, what he called it, a, a nothing hamburger, I think. I'm a nothing it. hamburger, meaning and much ado about yeah. nothing. If it is a nothing hamburger, uh-huh. a what burger? They just said it in is my it, ear. But it, at any rate, is that interactive like a brokers... We talked about it. Yes, we talked about it okay. last night. Interactive brokers going from 45 to 60. We played a game. Yeah. You said, is this Bitcoin a Bitcoin stock? Bitcoin or stock? Not? And I said, absolutely is, despite what Mr. Petterfee said. And listen, this stock at 38 times forward earnings, they better trade a gazillion Bitcoin contracts. Otherwise, they're going to be in trouble. It goes right back there. I am sitting at home. And on Sunday night at 6 p.m., I'm going to be in front of my computer. And I'm going to want to trade Bitcoin futures. What, what are some of the caveats you should give me. Uh, well, first of all, I think the American public sitting at home trading futures in general, the risks involved in that are so much greater than people under, understand. I think the general investor really doesn't understand. So, again, I think Brian's right when he says it's going to be a nothing burger because I don't think people are going to step into this risk trade as quickly as people you might get professionals. think they do. Maybe a professional. Absolutely. Might, might trade it because no we talked about that, that most funds say they, they want to stay clear of it. And now trading in the futures market on bona fide exchanges, right. they might feel a sense of security and the, do it. So you might get an incremental I, buyer or a player that I, wouldn't ordinarily be involved. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? I, yes. I think what it told you, and I said this last night to Brian, and I acted on it. I mean, to me, you saw the move on Bitcoin into Bitcoin futures. I think the same thing's going to happen with Ethereum. The, the top two or three, it's not just going to be Bitcoin trading in futures, especially if this is universally right. accepting that crypto is here to stay. So I got long some Ethereum last night. Wow. Not, you know, I haven't Very changed true. my life's position because of this. But I think if you think about what's going on, and, and I, I would argue we've had our, our futures moment with Bitcoin already. All right. Still ahead, biotech is surging and there's something happening this weekend that could send the stocks even higher. We will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's Boeing, the stock surging to fresh all-time highs. But if you miss the run, don't worry. We'll tell you how to buy it for less. Plus, America has gone crazy for cryptocurrencies. And all next week, Fast Money is taking you inside the world of Bitcoin. How to buy it, how to sell it, how to be a crypto baller. The biggest names in the world of digital currency on Fast Money, all next week. Welcome back to Fast Money. Biotech jumping 2% today, having its best day since August 31st. Let's get to Meg Terrell back at headquarters for all the details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, a couple of things are driving biotech today. First, of course, the incredible week that Sage Therapeutics has been having. That stock up 70% yesterday and still a bit more today after the company reported positive results from a mid-stage clinical trial of its experimental drug for depression. Investors are also betting that the tax overhaul, if it gets done, could drive M&A in the space, which has been slower this year than many expected. And there is some momentum moving into this weekend and a big research conference down in Atlanta. It's the American Society of Hematology Conference. It often leads to some major biotech moves, and this year investors are watching a few spaces closely. First is gene therapy, which offers the hope for one-time, potentially curative treatments for blood diseases. Pay attention there to Spark Therapeutics, Biomarin, and Bluebird Bio. Investors will also be watching the CAR-T space. Now that's the new area of immuno-oncology that uses patients' own cells to better fight cancer. Novartis, Gilead, and Juno 
uh, are all competing there. And an important stock to watch will also be Celgene. That stock, of course, having a really tough time lately, down 25% in the last three months as the company suffered a pipeline setback and lowered its 2020 forecast. Celgene will hold a closely watched investor event on Sunday night of this conference. Now, of course, this can be a very volatile meeting for biotech stocks. Take a look, for example, at the return each year for Bluebird Bio in the week following the conference. One year it gained as much as 70%, another it fell by 7%. This is according to data from our partner Kensho. Celgene, on the whole, generally has a negative week out of ash. Investors hoping, of course, it'll turn that around this year. And of course, on Monday with you on Fast Money, we'll have the CEO of Juno Therapeutics. That's going to be a big stock to watch. So we're looking forward to that one, Mel. Back to In you. terms of, Meg, um, the potential sort of binary outcomes out of ash, which are the ones that we're watching for? Bluebird is the one I hear most mm -hmm. people talking about. And of course, you saw that 76% return one year. I'm not sure people are expecting that big of a move for Bluebird, but that one is expected to be potentially a, a big mover next week. All right, Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell is off to Atlanta now to Ash. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of these stocks? I mean, it's, it's, first of all, expectations, I will say, going into Ash are extremely high. And we saw a lot of repositioning today as well. I mean, we saw short covering. You can't be short some of these stocks now with you got J.P. Morgan coming up, which is a conference in January. We've got the Cowan conference in March, and we've got now Ash and some other data points. So you're looking at a sector right now that, that investors say, I can't be short these names. It's too difficult. They've been beaten down too much in certain instances, and they're starting to move higher. There's, this could be a, a sector, in my opinion, that really outperforms going into but next year. But do I need year. to be long the sector? At this well, point, with I, the markets at record highs, we say that there's tremendous seasonality going on. You stick with what is working. Why biotech? Yeah. Because I, I think in the in the case of the top four or five names in the IBB, which is essentially 35 percent of that index, you have some fantastic balance sheets. You have companies that in some sense have an overhang that's based upon M&A activity. It's not because these aren't companies that are executing in their space. So um, I, I think the big issue is, you know, when you see a sell gene make the move it had, a lot of people, these things take the elevator down. They don't step down. And that's something that I think concerns people. Juno is interesting for sure. Steve talks about Bluebird. And the good news about sell gene is it held basically all of 2016 low, that 97 and a half, 98 level. That's the good news. The bad news is they really have some self-inflicted wounds. They have to prove themselves going forward. All right. Uh, Steve, you in biotech? Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm in specialty pharma, so I'm in uh, Valiant still. That one's up. I bought that at, at around 12 bucks. It's up recently 80%. I said when I bought it at 12 initially that I was playing it for a $30 price tag, not for a 14 or 15. It's traded at 19 and change. I'm still long it. What is it, a new high today? New yeah, it's, it's a 13-month yeah. high. So Valiant, again, part of this is just balance sheet repair. Bausch & Loam doing very well. Some of the core businesses less than they were two years ago, but they're coming back. You know, apparently there's a winter storm coming. What? Winter really? storm Benji it making its way across the country. Hold on, what name? Snow Benji, Benji. like the dog. Benji a dog? Snowball yeah. blanketing. Yes. It doesn't it mean there can't be a storm also. Blanketing <laughs> the deep south, causing havoc from Texas to Tennessee. And as much as a foot of snow is expected to accumulate in parts of the northeast. So to keep you warm during the snowstorm, Storm Benji, our traders have picked four stocks that will heat up your portfolio. Tim, kick it off. I'll tell you what, that, that's crazy. Anyway, APC <laughs> will heat you up. Obviously, an energy company. They've started to turn their game around, including giving cash back to investors. Follow this stock. Seaberg. Uh, OLED, OLED. I talk about it on the show all the time. This is a name that I want to continue to own through 18. This is a, a long-term play. What's that to do with heat? Ah, oh, it's just hot. It's uh, hot. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> Grasso. VF Corp, VFC. Look at the brands they have. They'll keep you warm. Nothing better than a hot cocoa on a cold day. Dunkin' mm. Brands gets you done, Mel. Nice. Yeah. That does it for us. You're on Fast Money. Stay warm. We'll see you back here at 5 on Monday. But don't move. Options action starts right after this break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.